Bienvenute a la salsa, which in English means welcome to the sauce. I am so excited. This is an intimate conversation driven podcast with fellow creatives and multi hyphenates about life and passions and what makes you tick and the songs that changed our lives. My name is Brie Delano. A ton of this is based around music, but we are going to be having conversations with really fucking rad people in a myriad of professions. In my experience thus far as a creative, I've realized regardless of one's accomplishments, there's always a time, if not many, uh, throughout your career where you forget just how much you've actually accomplished. And if I had to remind, and we all need reminders, right? But if I had to remind today's guest of his rich in flavor accomplishments thus far, it would take way too damn long. Most of you may know him as a director whose credits include Stone Temple Pilots, Vaseline, and Interstate Love Song videos. Also on that list would be Nirvana's Come As You Are and In Bloom, Smashing Pumpkins, Cherub Rock, Mazzy Stars, Fade Into You, uh, Red Hot Chili Pepper. I mean, the list goes on. He is also an accomplished filmmaker in which, to his credit, as documentaries are the Life and Times of DJ AM and most recently the Joan Jett documentary, which was just fucking bananas. He is also an incredible photographer uh, who has shot the likes of David Bowie, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, it's just crazy. It's too much to read and it's too much to comprehend. It's too much for me to even wrap my head around because I have worked with this gentleman casually. He is absolutely lovely. But then once I started doing the research for this episode, I was blown away with his career thus far. And in my opinion, it's only just begun. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to sit down today and get saucy in conversation with Mr. Kevin Kerslake. Court, stand by. Okay. All right, camera's off for me. Have a good show. And what? Hi, how are you, Kevin Kerslake? Just dandy. Thanks, Bree. Yeah. <laughs> You look very uh, relaxed. Pretty beachy. I mean, there's nothing better than that. I am a pretty beachy person. Yeah, it's nice down here. I haven't seen you since Vegas. AM, yeah. The, uh, That's crazy. The, the Vegas party for the AM film. For the AM, the premiere. Yeah. For your fantastic uh, <laughs> documentary, The Life and Times. Um, I'm trying to remember how we got pulled together with that i well somebody in the vegas world so kevin scott was really instrumental right, 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 in right, a right. lot of um film happenings and gotcha. uh so i think he might have put us together that was the connector the palms, right? yes yeah. uh dj kevin scott listeners for those of you that don't know we share a mutual friend and acquaintance who is a fantastic dj um and yeah you're right that's how we got pulled together because that's when i was doing the uh, live music series, the 88 way, the pop-up live right. music series. So we came together on that and did the after party. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I have 9 million questions for you. So you're going to have to Ask bear me. with me. Okay. <laughs> with your lovely little face and you're chilling in Laguna. So we're going to jump, I'm going to do a couple of, you know, 
uh, obvious ones, but there are some people out there that don't know these things. I don't. So where were you born? I'm a Los Angeles boy. Okay. Yeah. Where? What area? Uh, actually, I was born mid-city. Lived pretty much like in the heart of the city up until junior high. And then um, moved to Mammoth. I was, you know, product of a uh, oh. typical California marriage where, uh, you know, follow the bouncing ball. Um, divorces. Oh, and okay. Another thing we have in common. <laughs> <laughs> And then um, spent a number of years up there, like uh, sort of like you know the better part of ju- of junior high and, and and high school, and then moved back down into the city. Finished high school at Loyola High, and then studied film school, studied film at Loyola Marymount. Wow. Well, okay. So I'll roll it back a little bit, and mm-hmm. I will ask if music was an important element in your house growing up. Obviously you're a huge music lover, but I kind of want to know like how you fell in love. Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, my grandfather was actually a composer. He, he wrote a lot of old pop standards from, he, he cut his teeth on Tin Pan Alley, um, oh, wow. wrote um, for Irving Berlin, but then he was, he, he broke out on his own and he wrote like making Whoopi and yes, sir, that's my baby. My oh, heaven. just a few little My, yeah. <laughs> ditties from so, back in the day. Yeah, yeah so um, it's in the genes for sure. So I grew up in the 60s, so music obviously was a big a big thing. What's funny, though, is like you'd think that in the house, like it would all be like that's ground zero. But it was really like I had an older neighbor who would play like the doors and, you know, all those things. Oh, and cool. it just it had a different impact i think you know just coming from the outside into into my brain um Mm -hmm. and it's you know even though we heard a ton of music you know in inside my house like that was a a pretty pretty instrumental in terms of like turning me on to like the under not the underground but but, well, it uh, kind of was. Then. I mean, if was, you think yeah. about it, I mean, that was really the beginning of that whole revolutionary time, right? Yep. Which we're kind of yeah. going full circle and experiencing again now over the last decade. But yeah, yeah, but, no, yeah that was a very it, special time. Yeah, and it felt it felt transgressive, like that, like that was the one thing, probably just because it wasn't in my inside my home and it wasn't being played inside my home, that mm-hmm. it felt like the the power of music to to uh, you know just be transgressive and 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 uh like yank you into another reality so it was speaking to your inner rebellious side which was soon to be introduced to the world <laughs> probably true yeah do you, do you remember the neighbor's name i know the last name Glick. was it a, a man or a woman it was a man yeah five to ten well i'm older. super big on giving credit where credit is due so whenever i speak to people and and they, you know, have these amazing stories. I love to focus on the simplicity of that one person, even if it was just an acquaintanceship. Clearly, to this yeah. day, you are how old now? I'm old. Oh, oh okay. You're, <laughs> all right, we're seasoned. Your sauce so, is seasoned. Okay. But I will, I will take the opportunity right now to thank Mr. Glick for, That's, you know. Oh, you ever seen Martin Short's Jiminy Glick character? Nope. Oh, my God. Okay, sidebar, but after this, please look it up. It is absolutely <laughs> right. hilarious. Uh, so right now we're going to give a saucy shout-out to Mr. Glick, who <laughs> paved a little bit of a creative uh, 
path for you. He did. And then we had, you know, Beatles and mama, mamas and papas and, and like the, it was a funny collection. The of quintessential the, 60s. Of, of the 60s, yeah. Rainbow. But it didn't have like the the avatars in that world. I mean, obviously the, the doors were, but, but you know, Janice, no. Hendrix, no. You know, it was like, it was a weird collection, like Hawaii Five-O, you know, the, the, <laughs> the ventures. And, right. Uh, I think everybody has voice. that from yeah. their childhood, just like random references of things like, don't yeah. ask me why I know all of the lyrics to Captain and Tennille's Muskrat Love, but I do. Oh, my God. All that stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> or Skyrockets in Flight. Or Skyrockets <laughs> in Flight. Yeah. Afternoon Delight, which none of us really knew what that song was about <laughs> until we grew up. Um, okay. So junior high and high school, which is obviously one of the, the first huge moments in kind of cultivating who you are or the journey of finding out who you are creatively as a person, all of those kind of things. Um, so you, did I hear you correctly? You went to junior high school in Mammoth? Yeah. Yep, yep, Wow. Yep. So, what the hell was that like? That was wild actually, because, and we moved there. So my, my mother married a writer who lived up there. Uh, he was a novelist, great place to write. Um, and I still love working up there. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll disappear, you know, or, or to write a script. Like I'll just park it in a, in, in a house up there for a while. Mm -hmm. But and and I was um, so the first year I moved up there was the year that the high school opened. Seven through twelve, two hundred fifty people. The there was no stoplights in town. Wow. And the entire population was you know just around two thousand. So it was a definitely it, it it was a it was a shock, but a good shock just because you're in paradise in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I was pretty athletic at that point. You know, I, up until then, I was all, mostly team sports, you know, BMX for sure, but and surfing and skating. But, so extreme uh, sports. Well, and, and it became more, it, it became exclusively that. Like I, I played baseball and soccer and football, like growing, growing up. And I was, it was like, everything was like a three sport. Every kid's existence was a three sport very seasonal you know now somebody just picks one sport and they play that every day of the year but but um but back then it was like it was really like well-rounded athlete and that was the that was the goal so when i moved up to mammoth and i already skied i started skiing when i was six but um joined the ski team and then everything was based around that you know if i was uh, to get in shape for the winter, I'd run cross country in the fall, and oh, okay. and and uh, but I and I was always skating. My dad lived in Malibu, so I surfed and skated whenever we came down to see him, and um, and it basically just pivoted to all action sports. So I mean, quintessential California kid. It doesn't yeah. get any more Cali yeah. dude than you. Exactly. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, mammoth like what how did you kind of develop a, a, a what was your social life like how were you as a as a teenager at that point were you introverted uh, were you I mean it's um, a very small community very to grow small. up in I was deathly shy when I went to school the foxiest girl in ta in the school in my in my you know my quick study of mammoth high she came up to me on day one she goes what's your name and I was like I have no idea 
I was too. I was so shy that I couldn't even answer that question. <laughs> Do you remember her name? Lisa Rodriguez. Yeah, we we actually ended up going out together. Right out the mouth. <laughs> it took a minute for Mr. Glick, but uh, yeah. Well, we ended up going out together. Now. So uh, oh, yeah, you did. It, it was, yeah. Oh, I love but that story. It was a small but very um, progressive in certain respects. Um, click we're in um you know skiers and snowboarders now they're they're you know they're sort of at the forefront of of experimentation and progression and 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 uh so you know some of the city influence rubbed off on us in terms of uh you know spiking the punch and <laughs> and other iterations of that I guess right. that, you know, where so, well, um, it's such an exploratory time. I have to be very honest with you as a parent, it really sounds like a fantastic place to mm. have your kid grow up with, you know, whatever, all of the temptations that are there and just the influence of things. I mean, back then you didn't have social media or any of that crap to worry about. You know, yeah. there was just, you know, literally having to engage and connect with, other kids, which is a dream for yeah. me to think of if I had that opportunity, but it sounds like a pretty fucking rad well, yeah, way to plus, grow up as a teenager. Yeah. And plus you're outside all the time. Um, and not just in winter, but in summer also, um, with motocross and BMX and, 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 uh, so, you know, you went fast a lot. <laughs> you know, I beat the shit out of my body and, and, and uh, you know, broke a lot of bones and all that stuff. But, but um, and the, the concussions actually are probably the, things, the thing that has stayed with me the most. <laughs> well, um, hey, <laughs> at least that thing still works. Clearly, yeah. you're pumping out some good shit out of that <laughs> noggin. So I feel like you're all right. Okay, I want to jump to the beginning of career stuff, but I obviously have to ask you really quickly now mm -hmm. that I know this. Are you obsessing over the Winter Olympics? Oh, yeah, completely. Had a feeling. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I did it's, catch it's the, the snowboarding, the girl, the younger one. She's from L.A. She's from, Oh, Chloe like, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Like the the fact that you know they're sticking all the all those landings, you know, it's it's uh, if you look back four years ago, how many more people were falling back then? But now, just the level of talent's just insane. Well, it must be really rad for you across the board, right? Because look at skateboarding. Skateboarding's in the goddamn Olympics now. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think, you know, when you were and surfing? Yeah. Did you ever think when you were in Malibu, you know, doing it as just it literally just a part of your everyday like? Well, yeah, and now look. Yeah, and like I I grew up in the I was not part of it, but I grew up in the Dogtown era where they were sure. like, you know, those were the those were the gods, the dudes, right? And, and those were um, the dudes, yeah. Yeah, they 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 didn't. <laughs> you you could never think about that being mainstream, actually, you know. And uh, I can't even imagine. And no. they held their ground. It's like it felt like the world came to them. They didn't. They didn't have to change, you know, their stripes. That's um usually how it goes when people are doing something super authentic, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I wish there were more of that out there in the world. Speaking of authentic and amazing, all right, let's, let's wrap about, I do need to know what was the first genre of music that you really connected with? Like, like the first wave of punk rock, Blondie, um, 
talking heads, not so much the Ramones back then, but um, like that definitely had an impact. The more progressive stuff. But it had a bigger impact later. And I think that the, if you go back to junior high, like a friend of mine, Robert Gilley, sort of turned me on to like, you know, Led Zeppelin. And and it's pretty, like a lot of that stuff's pretty pedestrian now. But I think that, you know, that was the stuff that was playing at the school dance, you know, the, the, the Led Zeppelin. That's crazy. That's a cool school dance. Because I'll tell you what, sure as hell ain't happening now. Because <laughs> I have a kid in junior high school, and trust me, I would. She would probably appreciate that Zeppelin being played at her junior high school dance. How did you get to a place of translating your emotions via visual component? Like, did photography come first, or? Um photography no came came second my parents gave us a super 8 camera when we were living in mammoth oh, and wow. um so lots of home skiing videos <laughs> and i yeah exactly i hijacked that my you know from my brother and sister and was shooting ski films um skate films and some surfing too so it was all action sports at that point i asked because i see here on your wiki page that uh, forensic videos and photography are added to your hat rack. Yeah. <laughs> how, how accurate is this Wikipedia page? Was that a part of your early That's careers? Yeah, early career. Uh, so my, uh, my um, one of my best friends growing up was John Lalane, Jack Lalane's son, and his older oh my God, how random half brother, um, who John just shaped me a surfboard by the way. Um, he's a he's a he's a good great shaper. That's amazing. Um, but um, his older brother pioneered evidence videos and photography. So when I was in film school, um, I was working at Alice's restaurant, like busing and then waiting, just to you know to help put myself through school. And then I I uh-huh. did I did the took on the second job, which was doing evidence photography and videos with with Dan John's brother, and worked did that for like four years, and it. Um, you know, I'm I, I, I'm I'm pretty fascinated by the dark side, and I got you know I got my fill doing that job. I would um, say so. I mean, because you were in crime scenes all the time, right? So yeah. must have and accident scenes, and and it's just like oh. it was just and seeing you know the even like the living aftermath if people were injured and they they had you know whatever injuries that would end up being this the you know the cause of a suit um we did all the evidence that that was shown in court so i got i graduated pretty early so i i I was i think i started that around the age of like 19 or 20. Um, and then um probably up through like 25 or so and and i think that the the i met amazing people in that you know people that i worked with but also people that i in a sense, worked for, you know, the, the, the victims. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that the, the thing about it was that I, that, that it ultimately became too much for me to deal with that. Cause I felt like it was, it was having a chronic effect on my sort of outlook. <laughs> on well, life. yeah, because you're, there's no way not to take that home with you, especially yeah. from a visual aspect. And given the fact that that's, you really have a, like a magic power from a visual standpoint, it's, it's what you do. 
I can't imagine how that shaped it so early on before you were even really doing like the bulk of your work. It had a really interesting um, influence on my whole aesthetic because, you know, I'd be like this close to somebody who was dead, you know, on the, on the table or, you know, in a, in a crime scene and shooting my macro stuff of different aspects of what had happened to them. So, you know, you, you, you start to, or you have to learn the capacity to just shut off in a certain sense and just focus on the technical stuff. But ultimately you walk home and you're like, oh, these are like, everybody is a victim of uh, uh, mostly some completely random act, right? Right. Uh, It got to the point where I couldn't, you know, approach an intersection even though I had the green, thinking like, well, this is my sure. last green light because some fool is going to run the red. Right. And, and it, it just, it's, it's weird. It has, a, it has a strange effect in terms of like, when you're young, you're immortal. Like you don't, you don't, even, you don't even contemplate mortality, right? But I had to contemplate it every, every day. But the other thing that's really interesting to me, to my interest in in film processes and things like that is like I became really fascinated with the process of decay and deterioration. So I, I started exploring a lot of film processes that where that was inherent in the look or the process of, of making something. So whether that's, you know, was there a film in particular that stood out like those processes visually stood out to you? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of experimental filmmakers that dealt with that, like the the actual um, the material, you know, the just the the clay of film itself, mm-hmm. and they were like, you know, from Stan Bragage to to I mean, even like Michael Snow and and their films were just like these really these mind fucks of just like wow, you're not you're not watching image, any um, sort of figurative aspect of an image, right? It's a lot of it's just like they're just running the freezing film and, or baking film and then freezing film and then, you know, running it through some sort of grinder and, and, and you know, fucking up the image. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that becomes like now you're just watching this. It, it all looks organic in the end back then because it was all film, right? And it becomes really mesmerizing in terms of what what um, what is going on because it's like it it it's so um, part of of the film the film experience you know as a as a as a filmmaker and also as a film viewer so so um, who what was the first project that you did where that this kind of style is fresh in your mind and you're kind of inspired by it? Obviously, the um, very dark job that you just came off of doing in film school and being hyped up on, you know, getting your feet back creatively. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it was a music video or it might have been a uh, it might have been a film. So I did a film called Dog Flower, which was Glenn Bronca did the soundtrack to it. I just I um, he gave me one of his um, compositions and um which are pretty mesmerizing. So Glenn Branca was probably most famous in, in, in our world, the pop world, for um, introducing Thurston Moore, Lee Ronaldo, Paige Hamilton. So Lee, Lee and Thurston were from Sonic Youth. Paige Hamilton was from, from um, 
helmet and they were part of this like 50 guitar army that glenn oh wow uh did these live performances it was just a wall of sound and and i did a film which was just i scratch I, I processed the film i i i unspool and then i unspooled it dragged it out mm -hmm. into my backyard or driveway and you know started running nails through it and stomping on it and dragging it across the gravel <laughs> and like doing all these different things that were like you know in the in the bad column in the instruction manual and and uh <laughs> and um and then put it all together and just created this you know really long this, this like like some of those there were super impositions or dissolves that lasted 999 frames which was the most that i could do on what i was editing on and and then i did a bunch of videos like um smashing pumpkins. yeah well your video um, your video uh client list is is it's a little girthy yeah i was lucky i was lucky to, yeah. to, to <laughs> we're very so. fortunate to, to is it uh, luck i don't know i feel like maybe you were a pretty rad dude and pretty talented <laughs> but i but what's funny is that i the basis for that film and that film was called dog flower um became in a sense the the treatment or the pitch for doing work with certain bands who I felt might be open to something that experimental and which is, gotcha. and it's crazy because you you have to explain to a major label like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to, we're going to shoot this stuff. We're going to spend all this time and your band's going to be beautiful. And then we're going to fuck that shit up during this time. Right. Which is kind of evolutionary as far as your style and, uh -huh. and, you know, music is changing and I'm assuming this is around what, like nineties earlier than that. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. 80s. Was there an attribute or a particular thing creatively that you found um, that became a common denominator in the type of artists that you were drawn to working with? Aside, obviously, you just meant to, you you were looking for somebody that was open to being experimental. But yeah, it seems like when you read the list of artists that you've worked with, a lot of them repeatedly, there was some sort of common denominator there for you there as was. a creative. Yeah, and you, and you have to remember also back at this time, it was it was hair metal band or hair metal era, right? So there was a lot of big hair, a lot of Aquanet, and and. <laughs> And all those guys were shot up with you know big blue lights, so they had big. <laughs> it was a very strange aesthetic, and I had a very strong reaction against that. So the common denom denominator, anyway, was probably just the fact that they were progressive, and 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 I sort of joke, but you know I did all the short hair bands in the in the big hair era, um, <laughs> and and so you know my very first video was was for Sonic Youth. I was Kim Kim. <clears throat> and it didn't start out as a music video. I'd cast Kim as a, as a, as a, or, or for in one of the roles that I was doing for for a, they call it like a featurette. So I was shooting like thirty minutes of a of a feature, and uh -huh. um, and and anyway, I didn't I didn't know them, but I went down to the anti club, which was this you know this dive, uh, sort of nightclub in 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 East Hollywood. Mm -hmm. and, and Sonic Youth was playing and there were like, you know, 12 people in the audience and, 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 uh, and I just, I, so I've, I approached her afterwards and I said, will you, will you do this? Um, just randomly, you didn't randomly. have, no, and they're all so amazing. I mean, they're uh, still like across the board. They're all just amazing people that mm -hmm. everybody in Sonic Youth. And, um, so 
I did this, I did this, she was in a, probably like 10, 15 minutes of the film, and we took one of the sections, which I had put to a Sonic Youth, she was basically, a, she, Kim did the speak sing thing, right? And so mm -hmm. we took one of those things, shot it, the band loved it, there was like a 15 second chunk of black in the middle of it, where this, this train went into a tunnel and then came back out again. But what was in the tunnel was just black. And the band mm -hmm. thought, oh, that's a great place for us to put the band. So they sent me this really crappy VHS video with a static, you know, the tape was folded and I was like, ah, you couldn't mm -hmm. even see it, but it was shot from the back <laughs> of the club. We put it into the, into the video. I didn't even know what a music video was at that point, really. And, and then they sent it to MTV and it became like this closet classic. What year was that? Do you remember? It might have been like 87 or something like that. So the song was Shadow of a Doubt. That's the video. Right. Um, so this was elementary stages of MTV. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sophomore yeah. stages of MTV. So things were yeah. pretty progressive and experimental, right? Because everybody was just throwing shit against the wall to see what was going to stick. And they didn't, but they still didn't know what to do with bands like this, you know? Like yeah, they, there was they, there was no lane. Yeah. I mean, there were, there was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of pop, uh, a lot of metal, Def Leppard. And, <laughs> um, so they didn't know, like, because Sonic Youth, even without MTV, blows your mind. Like, they're just like, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty progressive. And yeah. so I ended up doing three, three music videos for, for, uh, for the band, all off different albums, but. That I mean, one. that's amazing, especially for that to be your first music video experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So then you go from Sonic Youth to, you know, the list goes on and on with Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Stone Temple Pilots and um, every emo girl's favorite song in the entire world. I did not know that you were the director for uh, the Mazzy Star video. Oh, fade into you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Ask any girl. <laughs> any girl that's our age, Yeah, they will literally say that that's one of their favorite songs. And there will be an immediate moment attached to that in their life that they will be able to tell you in detail because that song was so huge for yeah, all sticks, of us. It sticks with you. Um, it's, a, it's a big one. Yeah. So um, how did you get from that to... Um, I'm going to refrain from too much Cobain... Okay, because okay. I know that I know that you have been asked a million times about the Nirvana situation, uh -huh. or you know how that relationship came about. But clearly, you had a rapport, right, with him and with the band, and you worked on a lot of projects together. So it was a natural rollout that you would do these live films that were what your first sort of documentaries, correct? They were, yeah, yeah. Soundgarden yeah. was the, was the first batch, actually. Um, okay, I did a couple films for Soundgarden. And those were like live concert documentaries. They were, and then uh, the second one, Bad Motor Vision, was um, we started going outside a bit. So it became, it, it, it was sort of like opening the door to story, background, um, you know, stuff that was just more about their their real lives. Right. Um, and then that became. You know, not every band's open to that, and actually, not every band can sustain that sort of gaze. But um, Soundgarden definitely could. I mean, there's oh, you know. he was exceptional. Yeah, 
that was a big, big loss for the music world for sure. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so from that, obviously, like I said, that made sense. And that very much seemed like your soundscape, right? That feel, um, and that tone, whether you want to call it, you know, grunge, alternative rock, whatever the hell. So you find your place with this and how did you get into the AM and the Joan Jett doc from there? From there, big, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that happened between there. At, at that period where I just started cutting my teeth, um, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, that was the seeds of, you know, the LA rave scene, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's where I was um, sort of introduced to, you know, what was happening in the DJ world, um, just through club experiences, actually. And also, I think, I can't remember what year it was, but AOL, which was, <laughs> they had a big music initiative at the time, and, and, and they, they asked me to shoot a bunch of things for them, and then they gave me my own show, basically. God, I can't even remember the software now. It was like one of those, one of those... Um, that is absolutely not around anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did a lot of work for Warner Brothers, who also did, had an AOL series, and... And I'd end up shooting a lot of different types of bands, you know, from it, it, for, for my show, Queens of the Stone Age, Jane's Addiction, um, The Distillers. But I also shot Paul Oakenfold at that point. So I did it. And that was like the higher end production. Um, and I did a show for KCRW, too, which was sort of like an evening becomes eclectic type type sure. thing so i am a religious kcrw listener yeah I am, an amazing yeah. amazing um resource so in, in the entire spectrum of of a lot of the live stuff that i was shooting that was always like you know sort of over there because it was you know there's just one dude it was all dudes at that point there was there were never yeah. any female there were players. no women and um and you know so there's a lot of you know candy on the on the screens and things like that it was a completely different experience and, and it and it sort of it exercised a different muscle as a filmmaker in terms of like how you make that interesting so i explored it a bit and then i shot um so pasquale rotella and um, insomniac and gary richards who mm -hmm. created electric daisy carnival they tapped me to do a film in 2000 on electric daisy carnival which was at that point outside like three and a half hours outside of LA. I created this, you know, feature. Um, I saw, I saw it. It's beautiful. Okay. So there's two, there's two EDC films. One was shot in 2000. Yeah. And then the, the more recent one was shot in 2010 or 11. I, I think right. One was a film and then one was a trailer you did for the larger. Right. At that point, mainstream was like, Oh, those, that, that's, those DJs are the next big thing. So in, 2007, when when in, when Electric Daisy Carnival went back to the Coliseum, um, and became a thing, and attendance would double every year after the, every single year, attendance doubled, and the trailers that we that we were doing were responsible for that because it was that you could you could bottle up those experiences, and then you know pipe them out. The trailers had millions of views, and then everybody wanted to be there, right? So, right. And AM played. Electric Daisy Carnival, 
I didn't even know that it started in LA. It started, so, yeah. It started actually back yeah. in 1992, I think. Yeah. 1991, 1992. It was they, definitely not my world from yeah. a DJ perspective or yeah. from a music perspective, but I was fascinated with the concept yeah. of it. For sure. Um, anyway, AM, you know, obviously was a big figure in, 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 in not necessarily in that world, more in the club world. Um, and he did the whole, you know, he had a uh, sort of like a, the bottle service, um, you know, the, the Oh, I know. I, I watched the whole thing come to life. That was right when I moved to La yeah. to Las Vegas. Yeah, so you were right in the pocket, right? Literally, yes, because I knew him from Los Angeles. Right. Which so, which was a whole other story. But yes, I watched how much he was very much responsible for changing the landscape of uh, nightlife in Las Vegas, period. Big time. I mean, his career is amazing. I mean, so that was a given in terms of like how he changed the landscape of pretty much everything that he touched, right? And he had a, it, it just an amazing spirit. And I, I, I uh, uh, you know, he was he was electrifying, you know, in 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 his own uh, in in well, in so many ways. My interest in telling his story primarily. Um, was born of the fact that I had lost a lot of friends who had um, not come through the sort of fame, the darker side of it drugs, all. Uh, insecurities, you know, they hadn't come out of that alive. So when the family had, had approached me, uh, a couple times while I, so I did all the branding for Insomniac. I did all the video and film for almost 10 years, right? So uh, everything that came out of that universe was stuff that 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 I and my team had shot and AM played the like one of his last events actually was EDC. And mm -hmm. so the family once when when he had died um, and I had also shot the Halloween show when he came back, um, which was a, a hard events um, show, when he came back the first time after the plane crash. Mm -hmm. AM's family knew this, and, um, and so, plus I had a, just a, a, you know, the, the other films on my resume, it made sense to them that, um, that I would do a documentary on him. And I didn't, just because the family was asking me, I didn't want to touch it, because it felt like, such a responsibility, my God. Well, yeah, and also just the hands. Like, I know in situations like that, people with, with addiction issues, you know, you're getting into, you're getting into some private, you have to get into private territory. And, you know, so who's going to welcome, you know, that sort of investigation into the circumstances That's that a tough led one. To, to his... So I said no. And then I lost another friend who... Um, who had similar circumstances and I said fuck it this is the story keeps happening I mean obviously there are a lot of people even the people even the bands that you've mentioned where I've lost you know friends in those bands and but the, and the, if you if you consider that there is a pattern there um, not only because of their success and their you know their dependence issues dependency issues and you know all those different things there's another pattern, which is like they get, they come back to, to, they come back to work too early. There are not enough people that are saying no. 
and and they turn into a milk cow, you know, um, because that's all they are to some people who work with them. And I'm not saying right. that's necessarily true with AM, but so I just felt like, well, here's an opportunity to offer some sort of correction to that pattern. And so I went back to the family. I said, look, if I can tell the story without any, you know, if I get final cut, if, uh, and, and, and I'm not restricted in any way from what, you know, what has led to this, led to his success, but also his demise. Um, and, um, and we can do right with this story in terms of trying to, you know, not necessarily cautionary tale, but just try to, try to be a healing force in that situation, then I'm 100% in. And the family, to their credit, basically said, yeah, that's the story that needs to be told. And, and it's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You did a, a hell of a job with that one. Uh, with, with, it was circumstances that weren't just heavy for somebody that you revered and had a personal relationship with. Also, obviously, digging up bones from a lot of, you know, a lot of memories from the past. And yeah. my tip of the hat to you for being able to endure that. I have so many more questions. Is there a particular discipline that's a favorite of yours? Documentaries or videos or film or television? Is there something in particular that's really your favorite at this point in your career? Your passions, your drive, everything has shifted to, you know, as we all evolve yeah. and get more seasoned and smarter and wiser. More efficient. More efficient, yeah. Yeah, with our time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've been really fortunate to, to, to be able to sort of find a comfort zone in a, in a few different sandboxes. So I'm pretty promiscuous, I guess, with styles and, and formats and, and, you know, sort of ways to tell the story. So I love doing all of it. Um, I think I think that the you know the jewel in the crown for sure I would have to say is scripted um, so I've written a lot um, still have a huge passion for basically just making up shit <laughs> and, <laughs> and and, and um, you know with you know it's always rooted in something something real but uh, I love playing I, I just love the idea of, of you know waking up and and just knowing that it's like you can pick up any toy in the sandbox and right. and and um and just start banging on things what are your passions outside of obviously what we all know you for creatively what's behind the super suit yeah i love traveling um mm -hmm. just seeing the world and and uh you know that's a i'm a it's obviously difficult these days but but um super what's passionate. like a dorky hobby or a passion that you have what what brings you solace? That's just your own personal tinkering around with something. You know, it's funny because like they all sort of involve a camera in a way, or editing, okay. or or writing. So it's it's uh, and I don't I I don't want to come off as like some sort of idiot who's just always working. But I find I love working. I love doing that stuff. What do you mean? So, that sounds amazing. Because it's not work. It's just like it's it not feels when you like enjoy it. Yeah, it feels like that's what like that's what I was put on the planet to do, and and I'm lucky that I get to do it. So you know, I'm 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 uh, I try to fulfill that um, yeah. that need because it's not it's not even like a 
it's like a biological need. Like I have to do it. I have to. It is called being a multi-hyphenate, which is a word that is one of my favorite words ever. That is going to be my word for Word Up Wednesday because you perfectly led me into. <laughs> we like to uh, do a little segment with our guests each show. And so you're my first. Okay. Right. You're, you're, you're the first to do Word Up Wednesday. So for Word Up Wednesday, my word is multi-hyphenate, right? Because I love a beefy vocabulary and I love learning new words. And uh, I was a multi-hyphenate before I even knew I was multi-hyphenate, right? And that is what you are. And for listeners, the definition, if you don't know the word, is uh, somebody who has um, a myriad of professions and skill sets. Right. I was mistaken maybe for a bit of a scatterbrain or just not focused <laughs> or whatever, because it was always um, a jack of all trades, master of none, which always had a negative connotation on it. But um, it's really not. It's pretty amazing to be a multi hyphenate. So um, all the hats that you wear. It's it's almost like it's just part of your DNA. Right. That's what you were saying is it's not work. It's just what you have to do as a creative. Yeah, I think that it's funny because you like where you're going with that is like, you know, doctors and teachers and principals and even parents like they consider those like neurological deficits, you know, like ADHD. It's neurological. Oh, no, I I was definitely thought there was something wrong with me when I was younger. But I think that, um, you know, my favorite characterization of that is like that's the Edison gene. You know, that's the gene that actually brought about the light bulb because it's like because you have that restless mind, restless spirit, it's that's what has been the, at the root of so many inventions and progress. So, um, yeah. Well, that's my contribution to Word Up Wednesday. Kevin Kerslake, give me, what is one of your favorite words? I think psychedelic, actually, is, okay. is going to be my contribution to it. I think it, it, it en- encompasses transcendent and mysterious and um, mind-blowing. Um, and I think that they're just yeah, different. Uh, the psychedelic experience is, is obviously, you know, it, it has a, a very obvious root, um, which, is, which is, you know, s- something somehow opened the door of your consciousness right. to um, other possibilities. And I think that the visual experience that I had, um, which rocked me to the, you know, again and again, and ultimately I think led me to film um, Mm -hmm. in terms of those, the patterns that you can create um, editorially, visually, you know, all those things and the, the, the transcendent, reach of that you know um as an experience seems like it's kind of the framework of your career completely is that word okay so we were able to do uh the majority of the questions that i wanted to ask you but there's a couple of really important ones because the sauce is uh intimate conversations with fellow creatives and multi-hyphenates mr kevin kersley about uh, life, whatnot, passions, and the songs that changed our lives, and dogs. <laughs> so earlier when we first lined up this, uh, this interview, right, and we checked in, I saw some dog food. 
<laughs> in the background that you moved. So tell me what you got, dog daddy. That's destined for the bellies of Eloise and Ziggy. <laughs> oh. And what is Eloise and Ziggy? Eloise is a shepherd mix. Um, and Ziggy is a, we're thinking Malinois pharaoh hound mix. Um, uh, is that what you're thinking? <laughs> well, it's, we haven't done the random. DNA test, but they've, they're rescues. So yeah. um, we then had you're a, even ratter than I thought you were. <laughs> we had a pure Malinois. Um, actually, we've had two pures. Um, and then another ship. I don't shepherd. even know what a Malinois is. Malinois now I'm going to have to look a, this up. Yeah, M-A-L-I-N-O-I-S. It's a Belgian shepherd. Um, commonly okay. seen with military um, police, but I I only got to know the breed because... Oh, I see. I know it, exactly what these are. Yeah, a friend of mine li who lived in Sundance, uh, uh, she had two... Well, they were, she, had, she was an actress and she, she needed guard, guard watch, and um, they're very efficient in that. But we'd go snowboarding or skiing and Zuni would run up under the chairlift uh -huh. and then come back down as we were coming back down the mountain and then <laughs> would snowboard, would run alongside as we were snowboarding or uh, mountain biking oh. in the summer. They're amazing dogs. I yeah. just, I, like I cried the, the first dog I had running. I cried the first time I, I, I saw him run. I was just, like, oh. I was just blown away. So. Listen, do you not agree that dogs are just the most remarkable spirits? Oh, just, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can't say enough about it. I'm the biggest dog dork. Yeah. I yeah. literally want to do a separate podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog? <laughs> because that is how much of a dork I am. How Have you had dogs your whole life? Yeah, but there was a big, there was a big gap where uh, like, grew up with dogs. They were always in the house. And then after college... When I was just on my own, sort of traveling, it's it's funny. It just sort of like slipped out of consciousness. I always loved them, but it just I traveled around so much that it just didn't feel like it was, um, you know, kind to them in terms of circumstances. So, and probably that company really wasn't in your consciousness at that time, like no. needing that kind of companionship, right? Because you're yeah. out, you're exploring. I went through the same exact thing once you know, you start rooting down and figuring out who you are and who you want to be and more importantly, who you don't want to be. Yeah. Um, that's when that connection and that, compa and once you feel it for the first time, I, I don't know if you disagree, but. Oh my God. It's like, right? it's your son or daughter, basically. It's your, it's like. It is a hundred percent. And the thing that, the experience that, that just completely flipped my script was just that thing in the mountains in Sundance, which is like, holy shit. Like what the fuck? I, I I've I can't believe creatures like this exist. Like I know. Um, even though I had, I was close to all, all our you know all our dogs in the past, this was just yeah. Like a, but there's definitely ones that you have. I've had seven dogs over the last twenty three years, mm -hmm. and I love them all. Right, mm -hmm. and they all have different personalities, but they're there was one in particular who I just lost last year who was just the light of my life. Yeah. She was definitely, I believe you have many soul soulmates in life and she was definitely one of them. They are forever grateful. They're just the most remarkable things ever. And I love my daughter more than anything in this world, but the attributes 
of the dogs in that sense where they're just like, hey man, I'm here for you. You saved me, whatever you said, just as long as I can curl up next to you, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. You, sometimes you don't see that gratitude in humans, you know? What do you think, I was asking somebody this the other day and I thought, you know what, this is such an amazing but simple question I'm gonna ask every single guest. What do you think is the most underrated attribute of a person? Well, I think, I think gratitude, um, I mean, mindfulness obviously is, it encompasses a lot, you know, in that sort of ball of mindfulness, you, you find, you know, patience, um, forgiveness, um, generosity, um, like selfishness and selflessness like there's that 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 whole thing so i know mm -hmm. i'm 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 got the the, the multi-hyphenate answer to your you know. <laughs> <It's fitting. laughs> i get it yeah but mindfulness is is uh is, is if you're gonna distill it down into one i think that's probably the the one i was i it was a really interesting conversation it started off as a joke because i said it was dealing with some jackass that was on TV. Um, and I had said that I felt common sense was the most underrated attribute. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it is the most important, right? Um, aside thoughtfulness, I really feel is yeah. one of the most underrated. Because if people were just a little bit more thoughtful, you know, I feel like the terrain wouldn't be as rough, especially now. Well, I think, yeah, especially now because you, the fact that we're talking, that we're highlighting things that w used to be a given, it f feels like, you know, it just feels like we're dealing with a lot of, you know, batshit crazy right now and, and thoughtlessness. Is there something that you connect with deeply that you've become an advocate for? Well, I definitely think animal rights, you know, social justice, you know, it's, it's, weird. it's weird though because it just feels like all you're advocating for is the truth you know you see momentum in the opposite direction that's the scariest thing i think on a lighter note whatever um <laughs> <laughs> what's next project wise so i'm yeah I'm, I'm working on a few projects i know it's bad luck to actually talk about them but let me say, what can you talk about that's coming up next for you, Mr. Kevin? <laughs> Just basically bigger, big projects that are in, in the scripted world and unscripted world that deal with some of the themes that we've just been talking about. Uh, you know, at the, at, at the root of my interest in them is, is, is born of the course that civilization is taking right now. But there's also stuff that's, that goes all the way back in time to, you know, the Shakespeare controversy, authorship con controversy and, and, and things like that, that mm -hmm. um, are taking a holistic view, basically. How big of a role does music play in these projects? Because obviously they've played a major role in yeah. everything thus far. A couple it is of them vital, are vital. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, okay. um, yeah, and central in, in, in a couple of them, for sure. Okay. So, I can't uh, wait. Yeah. I don't want you to, you know, I, I believe in the, you know, in the woo-woo, so I don't want you to jinx anything. Whatever yeah. you feel comfortable about sharing exclusively with me here. Yeah, I will. I'll come back. But I will say also that as those things sort of, you know, make their way 
to the uh, you know the hatching point. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of photography and even going back into my archives and 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 um, not necessarily retrospective, but but just like my father died a couple uh, last year, and and I started looking through all the all my photography for shots of of him, mm -hmm. and I just was coming across all these old proof sheets and prints and things like that. And I was like, wow, it's just, it, it was a, it just, I'm just, I was in a different consciousness and I was looking at works and even shots that I just now saw in a new light. And for me, especially like with the, the NFT world and like the, the global audience that you have in, in, in that respect, you know, as opposed to like when you do brick and mortar shows, like you're just sort of isolated to your neighborhood that those galleries are mm -hmm. in, relatively local, regional, right? And and mm -hmm. the idea of, you know, opening up into a global community of photographers, you know, supporting other photographers' work, but also um, being able to share my work with a global audience. I think that is, I, I haven't, I'm still like in the, in the stupid like mistake making phase of it but i'm cool with making mistakes like you have to be free to fail you know and 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 you have 100 percent. and and um and so i don't i i don't mind doing that for me it's all just i'm learning stuff i'm i'm meeting new people um you know seeing a lot of great new work and 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 love the opportunity actually of sharing my own work with a new a new community but isn't it amazing to be doing what you've been doing for this long I mean, as much as you've mastered, I'm sure, various elements of your craft, um, the fact that you can still fuck up and enjoy it is amazing. Yeah. And that you can look at things through a different lens, um, all puns intended there. Because listen, the photography is fucking amazing. Oh, I had thanks. no idea. Thanks. I only knew the, the you know, the film stuff and the video stuff, I had no idea. That Bowie shot is nuts. Yeah, it's it, I've sort of kept that stuff off to the side. Like I haven't been very, <laughs> promotional is a bad word, but can I tell a quick story? Of course you can. That's what you're here for, babe. So Dish it. I, I did a lot of work for A&M Records and, okay. and the, the actually the most beautiful people who ran that Amy Stanton and Jeff Gold um Amy ran the music division Jeff ran the whole the whole label but gotcha I love a shout out go I, on and give I, that credit I, I owe I would say my entire music video career to, to, to actually both of them and wow. and um they were doing a John Hyatt album and they were like well we got Robert Frank to shoot the cover of it. Robert Frank, mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know, is like, he did this seminal street photography book called The Americans. And then he did Cocksucker Blues with the Rolling Stones, the film. He did Pull My Daisy with Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. And like, he was, a, he was a, sort of like the beat wing, the photography wing of the beat generation, right? Okay. And, and he was tapped to do the album cover. He did the Exile on Main Street cover, by the way, also. Anyway, I was his assistant for a while, and then we, we we became tighter and he asked me to shoot a couple for him as a, as the dp and then i did a like shot a patty smith video for him and um he was older you know much older and and the thing 
like he was a god like when he, when he first showed up to the set and i was like oh my god i'm just i'm like i'm never in awe of people because i feel like if that's just the wrong way to start <laughs> to start something but him felt like i was on eggshell so anyway he he, he he's looking at his, his, his equipment and and is like okay um well here uh hold this light and i was like okay uh where do you want me to stand and uh and we're in the studio with john hyatt and he goes well i don't know just Stand over there. I don't care. I was, this is so weird. Like a photographer doesn't really care where the where the light goes. And he goes. And then he sh he walks up to me. I, I see him from afar. He's like opening his case with the he's shot with his old Polaroid land camera, and mm -hmm. he's like looking at these pieces. Like I I don't know how these things go, go together. Then he walks up to me. He goes, "What do you think about this exposure thing?" And um, I said, "Well, I don't know. I got I, I got a, a a light meter in the car. If you want me to 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 I got fuck those things. I fucking hate those things." And uh, and um, I was like, oh my god! Like he's not, he doesn't like, t you know, pinpoint the exposure, and it's like he's all up like technically. And all, and I thought for like five minutes, I walked away. It's like, wow, you never meet your heroes. You should never meet your heroes, right? And then five minutes later, it's like, oh my god, this fucking genius, because that's exactly how I've always approached work. I don't give a fuck about like making mistakes or doing anything like that. It's fucking amazing that this guy's like 70 years old and he's just, he loves doing this stuff and he's not resting on the laurels because he is, I'm not the only person that considered him a god. You know, he, he defined street photography for generations of, of photography. Pick up the book, okay. The Americans. I put this podcast together not just for myself to learn new things because i figure it's a great way to talk to super fascinating people that i i know on different levels and learn new shit but to turn other people on to things that they may have no idea about nor that they even could be incredibly inspired by that made you know make them take a different path is yeah. kind of the, the whole reason why why we're doing this you to speak about somebody and revere them, you know, like that is pretty remarkable. That freedom that you just talked about and the, you know, the not giving a fuck aspect of your approach to things. What project do you think is most indicative of that style or that ideology? It's funny. Uh, well, I think some of the stuff in the scratch world, <laughs> which I, I call the video, like there are a handful of videos that have that sort of, you know, take the film out in the driveway and stomp on it. There's a video I did for, for a band called Ride out of England called Vapor Trail, which has that. Smashing mm -hmm. Pumpkins, Chair Brock is, is, was yeah. shot on Super 8 film, dumped in the bathtub, you know, hand processed, like yanked, you, you just yanked yank the spool out so it's just going to rip parts of the image away and it's like you just sort of have have to have faith so i think that there's a yeah that that process just because there's a there's a level of abandon that you have to commit to um that also involves the you know the the element of decay and deterioration you know like and, and imperfections um so those those two things stand out quite a bit. And I also think that um, like the video I did for the Chili Peppers, even though there was like this loose construct in terms of us 
building a small circus. There was a there was a. What video was that for again? Let's soul to squeeze. We knew we were going to have certain elements, but it it, it felt like, you know, I was like, ah, I feel like shooting this, so let's go this way, and then I oh, I feel like that, and we'll go that way, and 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 so it 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 had a the process was very organic. I'm a lot more I, I'm more interested in being reckless and in being, you know, all the fire of that. Like it's not my stuff doesn't come from my head. You know, it doesn't it's like because a lot of times that work can just feel like it's from the neck up. You know, where do you think it comes from? Uh, oh, it's just it's deeper. It's like it's you're in the you're in the <laughs> lower chakras. That's probably the the tent pole for my work, I think is well, that leads me to three the hard way. <laughs> so this is about paying it forward, right? Because as creatives, we're always, and we developed our own style being inspired by and influenced by people that we connect to creatively. I love to support up and coming creatives. From a DJ <laughs> perspective, it was very important to me, especially in Vegas when I took on more directorial positions to be able to create opportunities to not only put on, especially women, because again, there were not that many female DJs present mm. throughout the history of nightlife in Las Vegas, but giving navigation, I feel like is a really important thing mm. to, to share experiences. So three, the hard way is, is kind of my, my gift to listeners who are, aspiring so it's an opportunity for you to give three pieces of advice that you would give to aspiring creatives in your fields that you had to learn the hard way yeah great questions the most important thing is um knowing what you want learning how to get what you want <laughs> a lot of times you don't necessarily know what you want you have a feeling you have a sense that things can be you know one way but you have either haven't done that solo work so you've thought about all the various aspects of it or or are familiar enough with in terms of like what what it needs to look like in the end. So a lot of times, you, especially when you're working with other people, you get thrown off your game because you're, you're working with a client or you're working with even collaborators who may have a stronger voice than you and may ask questions and, uh, that you're not prepared to answer um, mm -hmm. and you're not comfortable not answering, which you should be. You know, you can always say, I'm, I'm going to think about that and I'll, I'll come back to you instead of, reacting to your fear of not your insecurity of not knowing your um or just the the feeling that you're obligated to actually have all the answers you know because we don't have all the answers. amazing it's an amazing piece of advice yeah and it's a lot of times like i learned some of this because i had to explain my faith in mistakes you know, my, in the genius of chance and, and, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the, the process of decay, like all oh, you're talking about what all are all to a client or, you know, somebody who hires you, 
incredibly risky elements <laughs> because they're hiring uncertainty in a way. And it, 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 can, sure. it can be framed in their mind that this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I mean, that's the, that's the, that was the lesson of the Robert Frank thing, which is like, mm -hmm. yeah, but he does actually. Right. And, and I'm on that, like I'm with him, like I'm on that train. So all of this has to do, a lot of it has to do with the context of working, coming up with something with personal idea, and then now you have to walk it through to bring it into being in film, which is, other than architecture, probably the most expensive medium, you know, known to man, right? Um, I, I guess Broadway plays are, are the same way, but, but you have to be comfortable like not knowing in those situations when everybody in the crew is looking to you for answers, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, it's, what's also amazing, like there are so many amazing people working in the film industry who are just incredible craftsmen and artists and they have great ideas. And I love the community aspect, the social aspect of being on set and everybody coming up with a solution together. So those two things are... I don't know, that might just be the one one the hard way answer. Yeah, one the hard way. <laughs> but I think that it's 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 important is because um, they're all part. They're all related. Well, I think for a lot of aspiring creatives in your field, those were pretty major um, pieces of advice, right? Yeah, because yeah. confidence and and, and assurance. Yeah. The percentage of people that really have that innate quality of like, they got the magic, they know what it is. It's almost like an outer body experience and like they see it early and they're just on that path is a small percentage, right? There are a lot of incredibly creative people out there who may not have a support team or their family doesn't support where they're at, you know, creatively. Or, and so they have to kind of stumble and yeah, trip and fall. Yeah, and a lot of those people don't necessarily. They sh there are a lot of amazing artists and, and a lot of amazing art that we that we will never see and haven't seen. When you were a kid, did you ever think that you were going to Google Kevin Kerslake and it would read Kevin Kerslake, American filmmaker? Yeah. Did you think when you were a kid that that this is where you'd be? Uh, no. I, it's funny. I always thought if I was going to amount to anything, it would it would be in the sports world. So, no, I had no idea. You know, while you were out there in the snow in Mammoth and shooting on the Super 8, and it was just a passion and something that was like, you know, a, just a creative passion project. If you <clears throat> would be shooting a documentary about Joan Jett, it was great. Thank you. She made it easy. Was there, did you have a relationship with her prior to this or was it a something that you've been wanting to do forever? Or how yeah, no, I did a, I did a video for her, um, a few years back, um, before we, before we got together on the film and, um, yeah, we had a great experience. We got along really well. And so when it came time for them to put together a film, they were, that was something that they wanted to do. So there comes a point in. In, in an artist's career where it's like, yeah, you know what, let's do, let's do, let's, let's put all this stuff together. Cause a lot of times they're, they're, you know, posthumous. They're, they're at, after somebody's gone. I'm and, so glad that, sh that she did want to do that. And it yeah. wasn't, you know, after um, the inevitable because man, I'm yeah. a fan as yeah. her, as a, just a force 
and a creative tornado in a time that was not the easiest for women. Oh my God, she went she went through walls of adversity. I imagine she she still is, you know, because that they're trying to put that genie back in the bottle. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, she's she's so rad. She's just like she stuck to her guns and is. She um, sure did. I mean, I just love the fact that she's still like you know loves distortion. <laughs> and the whole relationship with her and the manager gives it this really you know, unintentionally comedic aspect to it that kind of lightens up the heaviness of everything that she's gone through. And the two of them together are just hysterical. Yeah, it's uh, it's like you can't script that shit. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Before I let you go, I know I, I never would ask you to, you know, choose your favorite child, but what was the most fun project that you've done to date? That's funny, because music videos are so short I mean, the Soul to Squeeze video actually was one of the, it was definitely a seminal experience, but that's like a three-day shoot, and I edited that all in one day, actually, so. Oh, it's really? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, um, but, you know, I, fun is, is, well, the fun was probably a surf film I did for Quicksilver, just because there was a lot of, surf, <laughs> there was a lot of surfing, and, and. Is that uh, the Kelly Slater one? That was from that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I watched yeah. what was on your website. It was pretty I, amazing yeah. to look at. But I will say also that, like, I, right now I'm working on an extended edit of the AM doc, DJ AM doc, which oh, okay. um, that was a really hard film to make for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I do feel like it celebrates, you know, a, 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 as much as it, it excavates some some pretty heavy material it celebrates you know artistic excellence passion um you know the the uh, just an amazing creature who 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 walked the earth you know for for a short time and i think right now i'm sort of falling back in love with that I'm hoping that that's going to keep going in the same direction and, and, mm -hmm. and that's going to be my favorite experience. You are in the moment. I'm in the Legitimately moment. Yeah, in the we're, moment. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to come out with a film in early summer. Well, actually, right like to the tail end of the spring, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, it will, there's a lot of other stuff that we're releasing around it in terms of you know, extended interviews and, and so it's good. I mean, I, I feel actually now that you asked that question I, and I get to frame it in a way that's, that's now, not like 20 years ago or something like that. Yeah, no, now. I, yeah. I, I feel like. Because you're so much of a different person now, right? Yeah. You're a different man. You're walking a different path. You've had, you know, some pretty amazing experiences. I'm sure you could easily write a book and easily nah. you know do the doc on yourself uh with many many stories to tell yeah, yeah. that would be a daunting <laughs> <laughs> i want to thank you so much really man this was super cool and the you know i didn't even scratch the surface of all of the things that uh i wanted to wrap 
about and just kind of put you up on a pedestal for a minute because sometimes people need to be reminded, right? You get a little desensitized in the process in being a creative and you just are always kind of, nothing is ever enough and you're still going and going and keep pushing through for the next rush creatively. And sometimes you need somebody to remind you how fucking rad you are. So that's my job today. Thank you, Bree. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Kevin. It was great chopping it up with you. I appreciate you taking the time and um, I will definitely, uh, we're going to chat again for sure. But on the side, I'm going to hit you up and we're going to get together in person and see what kind of magic we can make together. And maybe we'll be working on another, you know, um, event situation surrounding the extended version of the AM doc. I have that feeling. (laughs) just might happen you're the best have an amazing rest of your day bye thank you so much kevin thank you all right take it bye-bye i want to thank mr kevin kerslake for sitting down and rapping with us and uh wow i just so much that i didn't know i hope listeners that you will go and check out all of his work and i'm sure now you're going to be like oh my god i love that video or i saw that movie it was amazing and now you have met the talent behind these amazing visual masterpieces this is the sauce i am thrilled to be doing this i I can't tell you how excited i am about future guests segments it's just uh i've been working really hard for this for a long time now so uh take the ride with me and let's get lost in the sauce until next time my name is brie delano you can follow us at at the sauce y'all on the grams stay tuned for the next one